Welcome to the Biohacking Superhuman Performance Podcast. My name is Natalie Nidham. I'm a nutritionist, a human potential, and epigenetic coach, and I created this podcast to bring you the latest ways to take control of your health and longevity. We cover it all, from new technology to ancestral health practices, personalized interventions, and a very special interest of mine, peptides. Enjoy the show. Hey folks, welcome back to the podcast. My guest today is Dr. Dan Stickler. He is the co-founder and chief medical officer of Appear on Zoe, Inc. He is also the pioneer of a type of medicine that he practices, which is defined as systems-based precision performance medicine. In this podcast, we talk about what does it take to really, truly operate at your fullest potential and to achieve your peak health and performance and longevity and health span and something that I, a new term I came up with today, joy span. And that'll give you a little bit of a hint to the fact that we're not just talking about nuts and bolts here. We're talking about a lot more than just your physical body. We also do talk about peptides and we talk about genetics because why? Because Dr. Dan is the guy who actually introduced me to peptides. Unbeknownst to him, it is a talk that he delivered at PaleoFX a number of years ago that introduced me to peptides and sent me down this rabbit hole that for me in many ways, I've never really come out of. I'm still fascinated by peptides. I'm still obsessed by them. And I still talk about them a lot, as you already know. I also did my epigenetic coach training with Dr. Dan through the Apiron Zoke Academy. So I am one of the Apiron epigenetic coaches. And again, I will say that his approach to genetics and epigenetics is also quite different because once again, we're taking a systems-based approach to genetics versus just looking at SNPs or certain individual pathways in isolation. So Dr. Dan is here to share many pearls of wisdom with you. I hope that you enjoy this discussion as much as I enjoyed having it with him. If you're looking to get in touch with him, you can connect to appearonzo.com. So A-P-E-I-R-O-N-Z-O-H.com, which means limitless, by the way. It's not just a funny name that they came up with in a vacuum. It's a great word um, to mean something that I think we all aspire to. So thank you for being here. I totally appreciate you guys. As always, enjoy the episode. Hey, folks, just a little bit of housekeeping before we launch into the episode. Please remember that all of the information provided in these podcasts is for information purposes only. We are never offering treatments, cures, whatever for any kind of disease or medical condition. Anything you hear about here is going to be intriguing. There's some research around it, but make sure that you check with your medical provider before you go off and do any of this stuff for yourself. All right. So enjoy the episode. And also, if you're looking to connect with me for any reason, with your comments, questions, whatever it may be, you can reach me through my website, which is natnidham.com, or you can find me on Facebook in the Optimizing Superhuman Performance Group, or on MeWe in the Biohacking Superhuman Performance Group. And of course, you can also follow me on Instagram, which is at Natalie Nidham. Natalie is with an H between the T and the A, the second A. So thank you so much for being here. Appreciate you guys. Enjoy the episode. Hey folks, just a quick word about a super exciting project I've got coming up this year for the very first time. I'll be co-hosting a five-day intensive retreat, a women's longevity and resilience retreat in beautiful Cabarete, Dominican Republic from March 25th to March 30th. If you want to learn more about this, please go to my website, natnidham.com and click on the retreat tabs at the top of the page. Not only will you learn about your own genetics, but you'll also be learning about your own biological age. We'll be doing live blood cell analysis. We're going to be deep diving into all things biohacking, personalizing it for you. You'll get to have massages, go for hikes, go to the beach, sunrise walks, sunset walks, you name it. We've packed it all in. So to learn more, once again, go to natnidham.com and go to the retreats tab at the top of the page. Also, keep an eye on my Instagram account. I'll be hosting some Instagram lives over the next few weeks so that you can get your questions answered live. 
That's it. That's all. And I just had to tell you about this really exciting development. Enjoy the rest of the episode. Good evening, Dan. It's a pleasure to have you on the podcast today. I'm not going to say that it's nice to meet you because this has been a long time coming. <laughs> yeah, we, we run into each other quite frequently. And uh, yeah, it's, it's a true pleasure to be here. Thank you. Yeah, well, you know, so for those of you who don't know, Dr. Dan Stickler is, um, well, he's this amazing doctor in Austin. And uh, the first, I'm going to tell you guys the story of how I first met Dan, and he probably doesn't even know this. But um, for those of you who associate me with peptides, the very first person who introduced me to peptides, unbeknownst to him, was Dr. Dan Stickler at Paleo FX. A number of years ago, you gave a talk on peptides and it just so happened that I was walking by and I needed to take a load off because I'd been yammering at people (laughs) in the exhibition hall, which is what we all do when we go to these things. And I sat myself down and within about five minutes, my jaw was on the floor. I think it was when you were talking about a pit on. (laughs) I was like, and I, and I poked this guy on the shoulder in front of me and I'm like, is this guy kidding? Is he making this up? And he was like the owner of a compounding pharmacy or something. And he turned around and he goes, dude, this is the, the shit is what he said. Actually, <laughs> he is not making this up. And that was the beginning of my, you know, I've now, I, at the time did a full about face and you were my first introduction to peptides. So well, thank I you. That. I love to hear that. Yeah. You know, you're always up on stage and you're wondering if you have, if you're having an impact. And I always say, if I can just get one person to, to walk away with something from it, it's, it's worth it. And it's always nice to hear that because you don't hear that from people very often. I mean, it's just not. Holy jumping. I fell down a rabbit hole. (laughs) I'm still (laughs) falling. (laughs) It's uh, that. And, and actually, and then I subsequently signed up for your, for the coach training program, the appear on epigenetic or genetic coach training program, which was also a fantastic um, addition to my toolkit as a coach. So I have so much thank you for it. So really, I just wanted to have you on the podcast to thank you. (laughs) Oh, well, good. (laughs) I love those kind of podcasts. Yeah, no, this is the best. But really what we're here to talk about is, you know, quite apart from the peptides and and the genomics is really about your approach to the way that you practice medicine. And I know that um, you've come to it in an, through a different path, like so many different people. So I'd like, I'd love to invite you to share with the audience, you know, you're now in this world of systems-based health, but before we get into that, let's talk a little bit about how you got there. Cause I'm, I'm reasonably confident you didn't come out of med school thinking that way. (laughs) No, actually I went into med school, I think thinking that way. And then med school changed that. Um, (laughs) You know, I, I went into medical school with the whole concept of like doctors, doctors make life better for people. You know, that was, that was the concept. And the, the only person I had as a reference was my pediatrician who he was awesome. You know, he would tell me, you know, he would always ask me questions about how baseball was going and tell me how to be better at baseball. And so I loved going and talking to him. And so I think that that kind of pre-framed what doctors do for me. And then I get into medical school. And it's all about disease and pharmacology. Mm-hmm. You know, it's the running joke. You know, we had two weeks of nutrition in medical school. Um, most of my nutrition knowledge came when I was in surgery residency and I was the trauma critical care ICU. So we were doing, and when we did trauma surgery, we also had to manage the critical care ICU. And uh, I actually did all of my electives in that. So I spent uh, almost a full year of doing trauma critical care. And we learned really managing the human system from just depths that blew me away and how it all interacted, you know, from managing ventilators to, to the nutrition versus oral versus IV and, and, you know, making sure all the nutrients were balanced and, and how it affected the system. So I think that's probably what started me down that path. And, um, you know, in, in 2005, I started doing age management medicine because that was the thing that I thought, okay, this is what 
medicine is about. It's about helping people to get better. You know, it was focused on, on really mostly men's health and, you know, doing hormones and nutrition and exercise, but, um, it was, it was a eye opener for me to see that. And so I did that as a hobby. And then over the next four years, I stepped away from surgery. I said, you know, I don't want to do surgery anymore. I'm operating on people that should never have been here in the first place. And I'm just correcting the issues of everything that could have been stopped if we had done something sooner. And we were having such great success with the, um, just the optimization program. So I started into that. And in that time period, about 2007, genetics came on board and I hated genetics in medical school. It was just the most boring stuff I'd ever encountered. And, you know, if you'd told me I was going to be into genetics after that, I would have, I would have laughed. I mean, no joke. Um, but I was fascinated with what we could learn from genetics. I mean, this was, this was amazing stuff. And, and then it blew my mind even further when in 2011, I discovered epigenetics mm-hmm. and I was like, oh my God, this is a whole new layer. And this is where the complexity started to occur. You know, I'm, we're so used to having linear linearity and reductionism, you know, the answers to everything and understanding that the human system doesn't work that way. I mean, there's probabilities and you can get approximations on mm-hmm. things, but it's rare, rare to ever get that. I always, I always do a thing with all of my clinicians. I say, you know, give me one thing that has a single cause. Yeah. You know, give me the root cause of anything. And they'll start naming some things. And I'm like, Nope. You got to consider this. You got to consider this. You got to consider this. And they don't even consider those things, you know, like they'll say, Oh, well, you know, this guy uh, got shot. Okay. That's, that's the root cause. The guy, somebody shot him, but it's not the root cause. You know, you've got to look at the, the person who shot him and the person who got shot. I mean, their, their system is a relational system has to do with environment. It has to do with social circumstances. Mm-hmm. And we've neglected that aspect in medicine. I mean, in, in ecology, we've moved towards the systems-based approach. I mean, we understand that small disruptions here can cause massive disruptions in other aspects. It's just like right. uh, a really cool example is the um, when the military came in to hand feed elk at Yellowstone, um, back in the late 1800s, because they wanted to increase the population. Um, a couple of years later, what happened was um, the, the trout population was decimated. The witch? And they're like, well, how trout? does that happen? <laughs> so here's what happened. They fed the, they fed the elk. Uh, the elk started eating the aspens. The aspens were what the beavers used to create the dams to slow the, the flow. And so the, there was water problems that created a whole new ecosystem and the trout couldn't spawn. Oh my God. So by hand feeding elk, it ends, ends up that then. And so, well, you can say, well, that's the root cause. Well, it's not the root cause. I mean, it was a major contributor, but all these other factors in this sure. whole system created this outcome because a lot of people would look at the root cause and say, well, the beavers aren't building dams. And they'd say, that's the root cause of the, of the loss of the, of the spawning. And, you know, this is where health has gone. And, you know, this is a, this was eye opening to me and it took epigenetics to really help me understand that because epigenetics is so imprecise and, and yet it's one of the best ways to assess a human system and to give guidance in the human system. And it's still imprecise. Well, yeah. Like a word that I learned from you through the course was propensity. Yes. (laughs) I mean, not that I didn't, I had maybe never heard that word before, but Lord knows I've never used it as much as since I've taken that course. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I'm glad to hear that. Well, because, you know, and this is, this is where I think, you know, genetics gets a bad rap, but it gets a bad rap because people don't use it properly. And people will say, oh, 
first of all, they use the word mutation. That's the other thing. We don't use oh, the word mutation. Oh. We used to use variant. I have a variant. This is this is how I'm, you know, I have a variant, this, that, or the other thing. Um, but they will say, well, I have this mutation and therefore I have this. And I'm like, okay, well, we need to back up the bus here because what you have is a variant. You are a snowflake. You have a different mm-hmm. setting than the next person. And that will set you up to have potentially a propensity to blah, which by the way, you can impact by doing X or Y. <laughs> that makes me so happy to hear that. <laughs> <laughs> you trained me well. Um, oh. but, but seriously, like, I think this is why, like every time people, you say genetics or epigenetic, people roll their eyes and go, oh, and I'm like, no, like it's because people haven't framed it properly, which mm-hmm. I think is exactly what you're saying. It's, it's magic because it gives you the backdrop but it's not the be all end all. Yeah. And you know, it's not, it's not surprising that we've ended up here. I mean, you look back at history, I'm reading a great book called systems view of life right now. And it really takes a history look at why life was looked at from a linear standpoint. And it started way back with, um, with Rene Descartes and the Cartesian method and where we have these, these absolutes of looking at a materialistic, a mechanistic world. Mm-hmm. So, you know, at first we looked at the, the ecosystem, the whole world as uh, a machine mechanistic. Right. And hmm. then, then we discovered it doesn't work that way because the ecosystem is a complex system which can't by definition be mechanistic. And you've got to look at context. You've got to look at relationships. Uh, All of this plays into this network that makes up the ecosystem. And so we've gone in the early 1900s, we actually started to realize that and ecology took a whole new path. That was a paradigm shift in ecology. But the Cartesian method of... (laughs) mechanistic and biomechanical approaches to the human system has persisted. I mean, uh, and then, you know, you had the germ theory that, that even lended more credit to it. And then in physics, we realized we could reduce things down to atoms. Mm-hmm. And so that reductionistic model just was kept getting embedded and embedded without really paying attention to the fact that we're, we're defining a system or we're defining the human system as a complicated system, not as a complex system in our understanding. And this makes a big difference. It makes a huge difference. Uh, When, when you start looking at, you know, the, the systems thinking, you know, we're looking at a highly nonlinear network. So our bodies are nonlinear. You can't, take in a mechanistic system, you can take the whole apart and understand what each part contributes to it. And, and they say, you know, in a, in a mechanistic system, you can sum the parts and get the result of the whole in a nonlinear system. The whole is not equal to the sum of the parts. Mm-hmm. And because there's so many interconnections, there's biofeedback loops, um, you know, it just goes on and on. So what we have to look at in the human system is really um, the biological, the cognitive, the social, and the ecological dimensions of life. And this, when this hit me, this was like a, just, it just blew my mind. And I was like, but how can we ever even consider all this stuff? And it's not a matter of considering all this stuff. It's a matter of looking at those relationships that exist and you don't have to know everything about them. You just have to know how these interactions occur and how they impact the system. Mm -hmm. And that way, you know, you do get this approximation, you know, um, in systems thinking, they say science does not tell us truth. And that was a huge shift for me. I mean, I was this atheist scientist, um, you know, scientific method all the way, you know, you've got to prove, prove it to me. And for me to step away from that is huge because um, understanding that we don't even see reality. We, 
we just, we come up with these ideas and these definitions and these ideas that everything that we observe is truth. And, and you, it turns out it isn't. And when you start getting into systems thinking, I mean, it just blows your mind. And, you know, it's not coming from, um, it's not coming from the researchers, the, the, the scientists. It's actually coming from the mathematicians and the physicists. You know, when they started getting into quantum theories, they started to realize that all mechanistic theory goes out the window. And so how do you merge these two? And it's, it's hard, but we've got to get our healthcare, our wellness shifted away from the linear reductionistic system because it is not going to work. It just does not fix the human system. Well, and it's not working, but you said something earlier that I think, I mean, I'm familiar with this concept, but I think that the listeners for the most part won't be. And you made a distinction between a complicated system versus a complex system. Mm -hmm. And you taught us very well that we are complex, but we are not complicated, Right. Uh, that the human system is complex, but it is not complicated. Do you want to maybe make that differentiation for people? Yeah, because that, that is a confusing one for most people. Um, Complicated systems are like machines. Mm -hmm. So a robot is a complicated system where we can take every part of that robot and we can tell exactly what it does. And if there's a problem with that one part, we know how it will affect the outcome of the whole. So every part contributes to the whole. And so it's a direct relationship. That is a complicated system. It's just like an airplane. Uh, airplane falls out of the sky we can grab the black box, we can run through everything and we can find the exact point of failure mm -hmm. for that. Uh, a bird falls out of the sky and you can take that bird apart. You can look at every part in that bird, but you're still not going to necessarily know where the failure point was. You know, you may see a heart blockage or something like that. And you have a, an approximation of what caused that, but you don't know the oh, this is the point of failure because all these systems feed back on each other and they rely on interactions in these systems to, to create the outcome. Nice. Whereas so complexity, really, it's just this, it's this, this woven, everything is interwoven, really. Right. And there's no beginning and no end to each thing. And that's, that's where human health is so com complex, right? Um, because emotions... Like it's like when we talk about how stress can have such a, so many negative effects on human physiology, it can affect the heart. So that's right. not a mechanistic. Right. Just because the bird had the heart attack, that's not the cause of the failure. You know, all these other things that contributed to why that heart attack occurred is the cause of the failure. But in an airplane, it's pretty clear the one cause of the failure that yeah. occurs. The bird that flew into the engine, for example. <laughs> yeah. I mean. Right. Why did the bird fly into the engine? You know, what was wrong with their navigation system? You know, you, an example I like to use is uh, I will say, you know, a female patient comes in with, with burning and pain on urination, low grade fever. You know, what do you, what do you do? And, you know, the typical answer is either you start them on antibiotics or you do a culture and then start them on antibiotics. And I'm like, but you, you really didn't do anything other than, you know, mitigate a problem that occurred, but why did the problem occur? Mm -hmm. You know, why did she get the urinary tract infection in the first place? Um, you can say, well, you know, she gets urinary tract infections when she has sex. So it's a mechanical issue. Um, well, and there's other women that have sex and don't have urinary tract infections. So is it her partner? Is it the bacterial milieu of the vagina that's creating the problem? Um, and, you know, the interesting thing about that is there are, uh, there are studies on this that say that sometimes they come down to your, your gut microbiome and your diet. Yeah. And nobody addresses that when it comes to a urinary tract infection typically, but you know, there's certain, there's a certain form of bacteria in the gut that produces a uh, substance that will interfere, will bind up iron, which E. coli uses a person's iron to grow. And so iron deficient women tend to be less likely to get a urinary tract infection. And women that have this one gut bacteria at higher levels, they don't tend to get that. So, you know, 
it's just such a complicated web of, of things and paths you can go down. I mean, it's endless. Yeah. And we're just not doing justice to people when they come in with those symptoms and you just give them an antibiotic. For um, sure. For sure. And then there's hormones. Right. Like not even, I mean, you know, <laughs> I mean, we, we could go for hours just on a, on a urinary tract infection of what we have to look at and consider. Yeah. And, you know, that's one of the simplest things we deal with in medicine. And yet we don't do any of this stuff. Oh, and, you know, I will tell you that in I've come across so many women who deal with chronic. I mean, not that this is going to be the UTI podcast, but chronic UTIs that they cannot nobody can solve. Yeah. It doesn't matter what they do. It becomes the unsolvable problem and it can destroy their lives. Like well, and then they put them on chronic antibiotics. Yeah. Which makes it everything worse. Yep. <laughs> yeah. So, so systems-based approach. So let's, so let's just explain that because this is the, the whole foundation of your practice and yep. right. So this yep. whole systems-based approach to medicine. So what, what happens when someone comes to you for the first time? Because you're mm-hmm. now, you're taking a, a very different view of how you're going to bring this person in and figure out what the best way is to help them to navigate. And I mean, you, you, mentioned, you mentioned something earlier. It was age, was it age management medicine? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And which I think today we might call longevity medicine. Right. Right. So what we're what we're all I think what a lot of us are moving towards in in the whatever capacity we operate in is how do we help people to live better, longer and better? Because the longer part is not that hard with the state of medicine. It's the how are you going to (laughs) live those those next decades? Right. So somebody comes into your practice and what happens next? How do we, how, how is that systems-based approach going to be so different to them than anything else they've done before? The, the first steps is a massive collection of data. And I truly mean massive. Um, <laughs> we get their genetics, we get massive amounts of blood work. We, and, and not, not like blood work we wouldn't use. So when I go through blood work, I go through every single test on the blood work with the individual. You know, people will get a CBC, which got, you know, you've got 18, 19 different parameters on that. And the doc will say, oh, your blood count looks good. Yeah. (laughs) Okay. We go through every single one of those markers. So we do massive amounts of blood work. We do um, urinary uh, metabolite assessments. We do a neuromuscular mapping of the whole body and how the, the muscles respond to electrical stimulation. We do a QEEG brain map. So we map the, the wave patterns of the brain. We do a autonomic nervous system assessment where we have, they're hooked up to like lie detector. It's got skin conductance, skin temperature, heart rate, heart rate variability, breaths in the chest, breaths in the belly. It's got muscle tension. It's got expired carbon dioxide levels. And we take them through five stressors and we see what happens in the stressor with all these markers. And we see what happens when the stressor is removed. Do they go back to baseline? Um, We do a lot of cognitive testing. So we get all of their uh, executive function to look at that. We do a quality of life inventory. So we actually look at aspects of their life, their finances, their love, their relationships with family, with community, their children. Uh, we go through a full assessment of that. We go through their understanding of health consciousness. So we developed our own health consciousness um, inventory where we ask them about different aspects of just general do they understand what healthy choices are mm-hmm. that comes to water, sleep, um, foods, exercise, all of this. Um, but once we have all of that data collected and, and a massive amount of just questionnaires, just to, to get an idea of what's going on with them, you know, it gives us a picture of who they are in that moment. You know, a lot of people are big on history. I'm not big on history. I'm big on where they are in the moment. So here's where you are. You are at point A at this moment and you want to be at point B. So how do we get you to point B? Or we want to get you to have a healthy life uh, health span. 
Mm-hmm. How do we get you there? And health span is not just a matter of body. You know, people are so fixated on, you know, looking at bodily parameters when it comes to health span. And this is something we've learned over the last 20 years. And I, th- I think you were at my talk um, at Dave Asprey's conference um, mm-hmm. when I talked about what we had learned from this. Um, you know, the body is one part of it and the body's the easy part. I mean, we have peptides, we have medications, we have technology that we can use to really optimize the body. But the mind is the next thing. And, you know, the brain is part of the body. Mind is separate to me. Yeah. Um, mind mindset is huge. And what happens is we, we find people that have massive deficiencies in areas of their life. You know, Maslow looked at it and said, uh, you know, as long as you've got food and shelter and safety, you're all good. Well, that is all good. But later work by Maslow, he found other things like, you know, like love, you know, do you have a deficiency of love? I mean, are you concerned that uh, you don't have somebody to love or the person you love doesn't love you or you don't love them as much as you should? Um, What is your community relationship? So Mm -hmm. people don't think of this as important, but having respect in the community, being considered a valued member is really important in life. And that's part of the mindset too. So it, if you have deficiencies there, biggest one we see though, and you know, I deal with my clients. Um, I have some really high income clients, uh, several billionaires that I work with. They tend not to have any financial issues whatsoever. I mean, billions, billion dollars. I mean, you don't have anything to worry about, but I have people in the millions and the hundreds of millions too. And it's interesting because it's like, it's like 700 million net worth is the cutoff to not worry about money. Come on. Are you kidding me? (laughs) You know, somebody has a hundred million dollars and they're worried about money. Well, it's so funny because I talk to them and they're like, well, if, if this happens, then I wouldn't have. And I'm like, I don't care if the world collapses. I mean, you've got a hundred million dollars. (laughs) Um, you know, but, but that, that deficiency exists. And what Maslow found is that when you have deficiencies like this, there is no exploration of, uh, of really the expansion of you as a human in, in that regard, you cannot explore transcendent stuff. I mean, you know, he said the person who's begging on the street for food to feed his family, that's his only focus. I mean, that's the focus the mind has is I need food. He's not going to go out and learn a musical instrument or start practicing art or anything like that. He's after food. Mm -hmm. And we understand that, but we don't understand that when it comes to love or finances or uh, relationships with community. We don't understand that that also impairs our ability to explore life. The life of excellence is what we call it. Um, Another thing is purpose. I mean, people just need a purpose Mm -hmm. and it doesn't have to be anything complicated, um, but a reason for living. That is so important. I mean, that's why you see so many people who die shortly after retiring is they don't find that reason for living that, that is important enough to them. Um, Having peak experiences, awe experiences, experiences of profound gratitude. Mm-hmm. And I can't tell you the number of people I ask when you're, when was your last experience of awe? And they can't think of it. Yeah. I mean, I have those experiences every single day. But when you start looking for them, you find them. It's just like when you're buying a new car, you know, all of a sudden you see that same car that you're thinking about everywhere. And before you were like, oh, nobody has this car. Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, it's pe- also it's, it's also being able to is being open to being odd. Yeah. Right. Like, I absolutely. mean, I, when I was just in Florida for three weeks, every single morning I was on the beach for sunrise mm. Yeah, every morning. And every morning was a new sunrise. It was yeah. a different experience. I could have just been walking on the beach and looking at the ground, making sure I don't step on a jellyfish. <laughs> But the choice was, the decision is to look for beauty, to look for awe. And and I don't know that you need to have $700 million for that. You need to have, to your point, the mindset, because I'm sure you have people who don't, we know people, not the beggar on the street who needs to eat, but frankly, sometimes the beggar on the street 
has a better grasp on awe than the dude who's walking by him who shouldn't have any real problems. For sure. I mean, the people who, who really understand presence and looking for those opportunities of awe, those peak experiences, they're the ones that are truly living life. Um, it's, it's, it's really profound. I mean, I've seen the happiest people had nothing to do with money. Um, mm-hmm. Absolutely nothing. I mean, yeah, you need a minimum of, of, sure. of income, but beyond that, I mean, I truly had a 74 um, year old billionaire client that looked at me one day and said, I would trade every cent I have to have a relationship like you and your wife have. Huh. And I mean, that was impactful. I mean, this, this guy's got billions of dollars and it's not important to him. It, what, what he's missing is love and that's all he wants. Yeah. Well, and the impact on that, on your health, I think, mm-hmm. which is where we're going with this really is taking care of the, the ephemeral pieces, right? Right. The pieces that we can't touch. We can't, there's not a peptide for that. <laughs> there's no. not a pill for that. There actually isn't actually a hack for that. What there is, is doing the work or being open to and making the, pro- choice. the process. Yeah. 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 So you have this person in front of you, they've got whatever physical issues. So now do you take on with them this whole journey of, of achieving balance and health in all of these other areas as well? Yeah. Because what most people come in thinking they want is not what they need most of the time. Sure. I learned, I learned this in weight loss, um, had, uh, I mean, this is a common woman that would come in, uh, have it with men too, but more commonly in women and a woman come in and say, I need to, I want to lose 20 pounds. I'm like, I can get you to lose 20 pounds. That's easy. But why do you want to lose 20 pounds? And they look at me and they go, well, I want to feel good about myself and look good. Wear those clothes I used to wear. I'm like, well, what will that do for you? You know, what's that going to change in your life? And they're like, well, feeling better about myself is important. I said, yeah, it is important, but why can you not feel better about yourself with the weight? And I would say, tell me what you can do different when you lose that 20 pounds. And they're like, well, I can, I can dress in nice clothes and you know, my husband will take me out to eat places and everything. I'm, going, I'm starting to get a clearer picture. And I'm like, um, and what does that mean for you? And they'd say, well, it means I'm getting attention and, you know, we'll have some intimacy. I'm like, oh, okay, intimacy. Uh, how much intimacy are you having right now? And they're like, oh, not very often. And, you know, what it came down to in most of these, and in this particular situation, she wanted intimacy. And she felt that the weight was the obstructing thing that was keeping her from getting intimacy with her husband. Well, if she lost 20 pounds and there wasn't any increased intimacy, she would think the program was a failure and just would say, you know, it was a waste of money. If she got more intimacy with her husband and didn't lose any weight, she would be thrilled about the program. And this, this was a huge eye-opener for me. And this, this is another thing that took me down this path of complexity and understanding you know, all of the web of interactions that are occurring that get people to a certain point in their life. And we've neglected all of those, those nodes on that web. And now we're starting to address them and it's making a huge difference in our clients. Hey folks, quick interruption to the episode to thank our sponsor, Drink HRW, who make rejuvenation tablets, which deliver 10 parts per million in 500 milliliters of water of hydrogen to your cells. That's the highest concentration of hydrogen of any other brand. I personally choose this product because this company invests in research. As a matter of fact, to date, they've invested in over 13 human clinical trials with more coming. So what are the benefits of hydrogen? 
enhanced alertness, reduction in liver fat, improved aerobic fitness, improved muscle recovery. There was even a study on metabolic health that revealed that drink HRW tablets improved 18 of 20 metabolic markers. I personally use it first thing in the morning, and I will often use it at three o'clock in the afternoon as a little pick me up. So if you want to give this stuff a try, just go to drinkhrw.com forward slash superhuman, use discount code longevity to save 15% on your purchase. And now let's get back to the episode. Yeah, I'll bet. And what would you say, you know, I mean, we've just come through and we're not through it yet. Like we've come through a rather remarkable time in human history over the last two years. And, you know, it's funny, it's not like humanity hasn't gone through pandemics before. It's not like humanity hasn't gone through crises before, but you know, in a way to your point, the, the setting and the landscape has never, has never been the way it is now. Right. Right. We've never like, I, I, I mean, I don't know, maybe I'm wrong about that. I mean, I know that people have talked about, um, they, they've talked about social situations in other pandemics, but I think that what's ha- what's taken place over the last two years is pretty unique in human history. And for sure, I feel that it's 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 going to have a lasting impact on us in some ways. Yes. It is. And unfortunately, what I see right now is it's a very negative impact. Um, mm. You know, w- what has happened is. Uh, people have taken a a linear approach to this whole thing. Uh, Not only in the, in the human health aspect, but also in the government aspect of it, in the science aspect of it, um, everything has become very linear. Uh, It's just like, okay, well, everybody needs to be vaccinated and that's going to cure the problem. No, that's like putting the woman with the urinary tract infection on antibiotics and then letting her go. That's not the issue. Um, And, you know, you have all of these camps that are extreme on both sides and they all have valid points. And they also have a lot of points that are completely ridiculous. And nobody is really taking this middle ground and saying, okay, well, what makes sense? And and why are we doing this? And, you know, what is the the complexity of this whole scenario? Um, Because, I mean, it, it never fails. I mean, every day somebody's telling me about some new interview of somebody who said, you know, this is what the vaccine is doing to people. And, uh, and then somebody else saying how, well, you know, they need to make it mandatory and not let people who are unvaccinated out in public. And yeah. I'm just like, <laughs> okay, you guys are so linear on this thing. Yeah. You make no sense. Um, you well, know, there's the, good, good and bad. Well, and they're freaking people out. I spoke to a woman today um, who, who got vaccinated last March. And today she is still worried that this vaccine will have done her irreversible harm. Yeah. And I had to say to her, like, you need to take a deep breath. Mm -hmm. If the vaccine was going to do irreversible harm, it would have happened. (laughs) You're fine. (laughs) You're fine. I need you to stop talking for a minute. Let's just take a deep breath together. And let's let this go and move on. And this is people who are living in the past or living in the future and not living in the present. Yeah. Uh, the present is, is the key. You get to live in the present and you don't have to worry about these things in the past. You don't have to be concerned about things in the future, but 80% of our time is spent in the future and past and not in, in the present. Yeah. And this is the key to really having a really, amazing life uh, is staying present with everything you do. Absolutely. Agreed. So in our systems-based approach, um, so we've looked at all the things. I'm going to steer us now back to my pet topic, which is peptides, because Uh I do think, I mean, like I said, you rocked my world that first day. (laughs) I've never recovered since. Um, But Do you still have, you know, like we're learning more every single day about peptides and Mm -hmm. are you still of the opinion that, and, and I mean, actually we will talk about one peptide in particular that I think we both agreed. It's one of these paradigm shifts. It's going, it's literally changing the landscape in a very important of health. Ironically, it's 
fat loss, but it's beyond fat loss. It's metabolic balance. But are you still of the opinion that peptides are going to revolutionize medicine in the sense that I'm pretty sure I heard you say two, what is it? Almost three years ago now. Yeah, it, it truly is. It's taken a little slower than I expected it to, to pick up. And it's just because of, I, I think the pharmaceutical hold on most of this stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, peptides were a real revolution in, in the way we address the human system, you know, um, medications, even supplements, um, are really putting foreign bodies into our body and looking for the reaction that occurs and everything we put into our bodies. And you, I don't care what anybody says. I can find that there is a negative and a positive to everything that the body has to react to. Sure. No question. Uh, same with foods. I mean, foods are, um, foods are bioactive substances. I mean, we need to quit looking at foods as macronutrients and look at them as bioactives because they all change gene expression in some way. Yep. Every single food that we take in good and bad, you know, it doesn't matter if you're looking at fish oil or you're looking at pizza, you can have good and bad reactions to the things that you put in. And obviously, you know, uh, the more processed foods are going to have more of a negative impact overall. So what you want to look at is what is the net effect? And is that net effect driving towards something that you want to achieve? Um, peptides are different though. Um, peptides, when we go after a target with a peptide, we're usually pretty labor laser focused on that target. You know, when you give a supplement, you're going to get the result you're looking for, but you're also going to get a lot of these off target effects that are going to happen. Mm. Same with medications. When we use peptides, we know that the body reacts a certain way to these. The body knows these things. This isn't a foreign substance to the body. Most of these peptides are pieces of proteins that the body already makes that, that we're now uh, leveraging to create outcomes that we want we want to move the body towards. So there's very little off-target effects and a lot of uh, very focused on target effects. So yes, I think uh, peptides are... Uh, going to have a big difference. MRNAs. Um, we're going to see more work with MRNAs now. Uh, these are biologics and they're things that the body's familiar with. I mean, we see this in exosomes. We see microRNAs and we see messenger RNAs that are in exosomes that signal the body. They tell the body to do certain things. I mean, we're looking at this in longevity and we're like, okay, well, why is it in young people that the body's got all these exosomes that tell the body to remain young? And then in old people, we have these exosomes that have uh, proteins and peptides in them that, that are signaling the body to behave in an old way. Hmm. Um, this is revolutionary in, in that regard. So yes, I think that uh, the biologics, the things that are derived from the human system itself and used to leverage the reactions are, are the responses. I don't want to say reactions because I say re- save reactions for things that the body reacts to, not yeah. responds to. Yeah. No, I think that's a really important distinction. And um, so in that talk, you talked about epitalon, have you, which is a particular class of peptide. It's this bioregulator class of peptides. Have you done more in that area with the bioregulators at all? Because I think that's uh, a, it's a pretty fascinating space and it actually takes us back to food, interestingly yeah. enough, because they do, they are derived ultimately from, from well, animal parts. Right. For lack of a better term. (laughs) And the thing is, animals have a lot of the biology we have. I mean, even plants. Mm -hmm. I mean, you look at microRNAs, which are signals, and we get microRNAs from any animal products we eat, but we also get microRNAs that the body's familiar with from plants. Yeah. You know, that's why I always say, you know, you eat the meat from a stressed cow you're going to experience some of that stress because the cow is going to be carrying microRNAs that are going to signal cells. It's just the way it happens. Um, that's why I like to say it's important to eat locally because the plants and the animals that are exposed to the local environment are signaling you in a way that says, oh, this is in the environment or this is how we need to react to something in the environment. Um, I think that's really a, a logical way to, to approach things. Uh, so, so, yeah, I mean, this is a, this is a big deal. Yeah. Well, I think that, and I mean, it brings us to this point of how food is information, 
right? When yeah. you said that in a different way earlier, it's, it's information to the body. It's not just macros. I mean, the other thing is, I mean, it brings us pleasure. And I think that so many people have lost that because they've gotten so stressed over whatever, you know, whether it's what's healthy, what's allowed, what's good, what's bad, this full nine yards, um, which I know that you focus on. And certainly I, as a coach, like we try to start to remove these things from people's vernacular when they're talking about things they're putting into their bodies. Um, So speaking of peptides, we were talking a little bit earlier about one particular peptide that um, I think and we've agreed really has the potential to make a massive difference um, mm-hmm. in human health moving forward. And that is this, this class of peptides called these GLP-1 agonists. I kind of can't stop talking about it because to me, as much as it gets put forward as a solution for type 2 diabetes and for obesity, it's actually so much more than that. It really is. And, uh, you know, I, I listened to your podcast with uh, Caleb Greer and you, you guys did a really good job of digging into it. Uh, so I don't want to repeat a lot of what was in mm-hmm. that one. Um, but, you know, we're actually in the longevity industry and, 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 you know, we call it longevity or age rejuvenation. Now, um, this has been an area of passion for me for a long time. I mean, you know, speak of Opitalon and that's one of the classic ones for age rejuvenation uh, as a peptide. But um, GLP-1 is actually being looked at as an adjunct to longevity as well. I mean, this is something that it sensitizes insulin receptors throughout the body and not only in the muscle, but also in the brain. And this is a huge game changer for things. Um, I mean, you know, we've looked at metformin as the primary uh, way to do that. And I mean, it is minor league compared to GLP-1. Um, so not only are you getting the, the weight loss, but you're also getting the sensitization of the insulin receptors and you're getting improved health of the beta cells with it. You know, I, we were talking before the show and, um, I've been in weight loss since 1999. I mean, I, I had a private surgical clinic and a medical bariatric practice, and I did over 3000 weight loss surgery operations. And we had a team of two dietitians, two exercise physiologists, two health psychologists on staff. Um, and, you know, even with all of these resources for people, we were very unsuccessful with maintaining long-term weight loss. Uh, and the, the appetite suppressants and other weight loss medications were all stimulants and they were addictive and they just would quit working over time. Um, And it's because, you know, we're using them for something that they do cause in the body, but there's also these off target effects of what's happening. And, you know, from a complex system approach, GLP one is an amazing adjunct to healthy living. You know, we, we have some of our people in our age rejuvenation program, we have them taking it uh, intermittently every year. They'll just take a course, a month course of it here and there, and uh, does great with lowering their hemoglobin A1C, getting their insulin levels down. Um, So, you know, we've got that, but you talk about a paradigm shift for weight loss. I mean, I got out of weight loss in 2009 because I said nothing works and I was so disappointed. I mean, that was 10 years of my life with really a whole team of people that I suddenly was like, you know, nothing works for weight loss. And Mm -hmm. This GLP-1 agonist, I mean, this is a true paradigm change and it's exciting. Yeah, no, I agree. And, you know, again, in the climate that we're in right now, where being metabolically deranged has become such a health liability in the face of um, this COVID-19 virus, which really preys on the weak, you know, it culls the herd in the most precise and horrible way. Well, if we can heal the herd with something like this, right? Then um, you're prepared, not scared. Yeah, that's yeah. the and you know, that's that's what I said in complex systems, you know, they're they're taking the linear approach and saying, well, if we get everybody vaccinated, it won't be an issue. Well, if we had everybody healthy, it wouldn't be an issue too. Yeah. Um so, I mean, why don't we, we start implementing rules on being healthy instead of uh rules on everybody has to be vaccinated to protect everybody? Yeah, no, I know it's, um, it's, 
it's a fine mess where it is. It truly is. It's, it's, uh, I, I'm not sure it, it's, it's going to be what I find difficult. And I think is the biggest challenge here is that the powers that be that are running the show are, have become intractable. And, well, um, on top of that, it's because of experts. And wow. what I mean by that is we have put so much value on expertise with this just deep knowledge in one specific area. Mm-hmm. This is a failure of the system, the linear system. This is a uh, just a symptom of the linear approach to health. Yeah, you know the the broad knowledge people that have deep knowledge in specific areas. These are the people that can step back and look at, oh, this is how this interacts. You know, you go to a cardiologist and their whole goal is to not have you have a heart attack. They don't care about your kids. Well, they care, but they're not paying attention to your kidneys or anything else that may be damaged by what they're doing. As long as you don't die of a heart attack, they've done their job and they're experts in that area, but they're not experts in how that interrelates with everything. Yeah. And this is Mm. happening at the government level too. They're relying on experts that have this siloed expertise in one area and they can't look at the bigger picture and interactive pieces and interaction relationship uh, context. I mean, that is what the systems approach is all about. Yeah, no, it's um, yeah, that's a tough one. So, so tell me this, not everybody can access a, a clinic like yours. Like mm-hmm. you've, you know, you've, you've created this incredible place, this incredible environment. What would you say to, to people who, you know, who just, who can't necessarily access this level of care? Like what advice would you give people in terms of managing their own systems approach kind of thing? Like, is there something that people can do for themselves? Absolutely. To help and, themselves. and, you know, there are coaches like you that, that have gone through our training that are all out there uh, that understand systems approaches. Uh, not all of our coaches understand it that well, uh, especially not as well as you do, but um, there's people that you can a- access for that. You know, even just stuff like, like uh, wearable biometric. Um, I like the, the Garmin Phoenix watches just because of the depth of data, but a lot of people don't like wearing a watch and the aura ring is also good, but you've got to learn how to utilize these. Yes. And, you know, a lot of our coaches are really well-informed on how to use biometric uh, readings to help guide health. I mean, we, I get on a video call, a zoom call with all of my clients once a month and I pull up their, their Garmin dashboard and I go through their stress, their resting heart rate, their sleep, uh, body battery, all of this stuff to see what's been going on in the month. And they get an idea of the behaviors that they have and how it affects their, their metrics. That's really important. So the more data you have on yourself, the better. Yeah. So data collection would be a really good starting point for most people finding whatever level of practitioner you can to guide you in some way through this whole systems approach and avoiding the whole reductionist view, if you will, of health, Mm -hmm. taking it down to, to super simple. So I guess as we, we, we're going to, you know, as we kind of come to the end of, of this interview, I'm just curious, what would you share about your personal, I don't want to call it anti-aging, but your longevity protocol, like what's your personal protocol? And I've seen you, and I just want to say that I get what that guy was saying about trading his billions for the marriage that you have, mm-hmm. because the relationship mm-hmm. that you have is exceptional. Thank you. you know, I haven't been around you guys that much, but I've been at the time I've been around you, like there's such a bond and a relationship there. It's a very special thing. It's, mm-hmm. it's an amazing thing. But aside from your spectacular relationship, <laughs> what, what are you able to, what would you be willing to share about your personal protocol for, you know, well, you know, the body's that one piece of it. Um, you know, and I do, I do do regular peptides. I do synolytics periodically. I do courses of peptides that are designed to boost health aspects. I use medications like uh, rapamycin on a weekly basis. Um, And I'll do medications like synolytics, like dasatinib periodically throughout the year. 
things like GHK copper peptide injections for skin rejuvenation or the rapamycin facial creams on top of that. Um, there's all kinds of protocols out there. We do some exosome therapy with our clients. We measure um, the methylation biologic age every year and the rate of aging scores. So we get a good idea of what's working and what's not, if it's slowing the aging process or if it's uh, accelerating it. Uh, so having that data is really, really important. Um, but for me, the, the other aspect that people just neglect are those other four components, purpose, um, mindset, um, experience of experiences of awe and gratitude and love. Um, you know, that's what makes life worth living. You know, if you live to, to 200 years old, I mean, what fun is that when either your body's done or your mind's done, or you have no relationships with people? I mean, it's a miserable life. Uh, mm -hmm. So living the life of excellence is the key. Um, and that's what keeps people young and having a long health span. Um, the other stuff, the medications, the technology that we use, I mean, those are just adjuncts to help boost the process, but it's really just a matter of choices. Yeah. Now it's interesting. As you're speaking, I'm like thinking maybe we should coin a phrase like joy span or something beyond health span. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. I like that. <laughs> Um, taking joy it span. joy span. I mean, it's, and because I don't think, I don't think the miserable person would live to 200 to be yeah, honest. You know, you, you know, know, the one thing though, is people spend a lot of time pursuing happiness. And mm -hmm. from what I've uh, kind of come to understand is happiness is not a pursuit. Happiness just happens. Um, I can remember I was a, a philosophy minor in college and I studied, um, uh, Nietzsche. I love Nietzsche. And he had this thing he called the Ubermensch, uh, which was the overman. And he was the man that really took life by the horns. You know, he took the risks. He knew it was going to be filled with, with disappointments and sadness, but extreme levels of uh, just awe and excitement that would occur. And in the book, uh, Thus Spoke Zarathustra, he talked about the, the, Ubermensch and what he called the last man. And the last man was the person who went through life and maximized um, uh, comfort and minimized risk and discomfort hmm. so that they would have this happy life. And, and that's fine if people choose that, but without the extremes and the risks, I don't think life is as much fun or exhilarating uh, so, you know, pursuing happiness is one thing, but you also, you want to really revel in profound sadness occasionally. I mean, to actually experience sadness to its fullest extent is cathartic. I mean, it's amazing to feel that. And it just makes the, the bliss and ecstasy on the other end, even more sweet. So having the full spectrum of the human experience is also important. Nice. I like that. That's, I mean, not so many people, so few people bring that up. Right. Um, and I, it's, it's a, it's a great perspective, actually. It's a beautiful perspective. And it's, it's a little bit like, sometimes I say to people, you know, sometimes it's important to kind of feel unwell yeah. because when you feel sick and you get that feeling of having lost control of your body and you're kind of sitting there amazed that you feel like such a bag of broken toys yeah. <laughs> in spite of all that you do. The beauty of that is when you come out of it, you have a new appreciation. You have an appreciation for it. And it just makes the whole opposite spectrum of that just even more sweeter. Yeah, no, absolutely. Not that I'm suggesting anybody go out and just get sick on purpose. I'm just saying, yeah. <laughs> just saying there's, there's balance in the world. Um, okay. So last question of the day. Um, actually, I did have another question. And, okay. and it may be too big a question. Maybe we'll have to do another podcast, but what is the thing, what are the things that you feel have had the most impact on reversing people's biological age or slowing the rate of aging? Are you, uh, that, is that too that, big a question for right now or? No, I mean, that changes a lot frequently. Um, you know, we have new and exciting things come on board. I mean, you know, Matt Foreman was the darling of the industry for many years. And then, uh, and then rapamycin came out and everybody was like, oh my God, rapamycin. And 
you know, now the peptides and now the exosomes. And then uh, the newest thing is this plasma apheresis that people are doing that removes the plasma and all the signaling that the body's got in there to say, be old. And uh, when we remove that, we see age rejuvenation. I mean, you know, it's, it's such a fluid uh, industry and we're on an exponential growth curve with it. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. I mean, it's an exciting time for me to be alive and, and being able to see the stuff that's happening. I mean, it's truly amazing. Yeah, no, I would agree. This is a really exciting time. It's interesting, you know, do you think that, how much do you think genetics has to do with rate of aging also? Um, probably about 10%, honestly. That's it? Um, Really? Yeah. Yeah. I was surprised that uh, I've, I've been reading some of the numbers on that and um, you know, people do carry different variants that, that promote longevity, like the Clotho variant. Um, and there's a couple of new ones that they found recently, but the um, you know, we are complex systems and that is just one of many networks that's going to be contributing to the outcome of it. I mean, to be reductionistic and saying DNA is the base of human existence is just ridiculous. Yeah, no, uh, I think so. I think. <laughs> uh, you know, it's and and we understand maybe a tenth of one percent of what DNA actually does. I mean, you know, now they're thinking that it it actually codes memories of our ancestry. And then it does. I mean, there's, there's viruses that are uh, encoded in our DNA so that we would recognize them if they came up, but they haven't been in our, in our ecosystem in uh, thousands of years. So it it truly is an, uh, an information codex of, uh, of your life and and the life before you. Yeah. Oh, wow. That's pretty amazing. All right. Well, last question of the day, uh-huh. and then um, I'm letting you go is, um, and I think you've probably covered this, but is there any one thing that you think everybody should know? Oof. Beyond, I mean, you've pretty much, you've kind of nailed it. In a, That'd be in very a bunch reductionistic, Natalie. Yeah, uh, <laughs> I know, I know, I know, I know, but it could be a concept. And I think you've, I think you've kind of gone there, right? I think it's this whole beyond the body. Well, I think the, the, the one thing that I would say, and this is going to just blow some people's minds is that science is not truth. Yeah. Um, and that's, that's it. It's approximations, but not truth. Yeah, no, I think that's, that's powerful. And that's very mm-hmm. true. Well, thank you so much for your time tonight. It's uh, always a pleasure chatting with you and um, where I don't you tell people where they can find you. Um, you can go to appearonzoi.com. That's A-P-E-I-R-O-N-Z-O-H.com. That's the main landing page for our ecosystem. And it means limitless life. Yeah. Yeah. No, I love that. So appearonzo.com. And um, there's so many things that you offer there. You've got some, there's an amazing supplement store, actually. There's mm-hmm. the genetic testing and of course, for those who can do it, there's also your services, which are pretty spectacular as well. And you have mm-hmm. this whole army of coaches out there yeah, for spreading sure. the word. Mm-hmm. Um, well, thank you again. It's been a pleasure. Thank you for having me. Thanks so much for joining me on this episode of the Biohacking Superhuman Performance Podcast. If you enjoyed the show, please remember to leave us a five-star review on iTunes because that's what helps us to be heard and to be seen. If you'd like to connect with me directly, or if you'd like to leave any comments, or if you have any questions about this episode, please reach out to me directly through my website, natnidham.com. And of course, if you're not already a member of the Biohacking Superhuman Performance Community on Facebook, that's where you'll find me every day. It's a short application. Just answer a couple of questions and you're in and interfacing with other amazing biohackers. Thanks again, and we'll look forward to seeing you on the next episode.